Hi, welcome back to the Unproblematic Podcast. I'm Ariana. And I'm Kaylee. And this podcast talks about two 20-something Midwest friends who have a lot to say. This podcast talks about life, college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. So come join us on our podcasting journey. In this episode, the first episode of season two of Unproblematic, Ariana and I will have our special guest, Scott Eldridge, to discuss what schools are doing in terms of remote and in-person classes this fall, and specifically the challenges that COVID-19 presents to teachers, because Mr. Aldrich is a teacher. And so we are very excited to hear his perspective on this pandemic. And I would just like to say, um, Ariana's title for this episode, I thought, was very funny. So I just wanted to read it. It's Pandemics and In-Person Classes Don't Mix. I just, I love how under <laughs> <laughs> So... That's what we're going to be talking about, pandemics and in-person classes. So uh, Mr. Aldrich is Ariana's teacher. So could you give him a little bit of an introduction, Ariana? Yes. So Mr. Scott Aldrich is the best teacher I've ever had. Um, I He was my teacher for history and English, and I had him. I was in his class for 8th and 10th grade. But um, he is honestly one of the best teachers ever. And he has been teaching for 15 years, and he has been teaching in English and history, and he's a Michigan native, and he got his degree from both CMU and Grand Valley State University. So, um, Mr. Aldrich, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited. And a funny thing about Mr. Aldrich is even when I wasn't in his class, my sister was in his class. So I was I remember I was an AP Lang and I would sometimes wander my way into class, even though I was not even enrolled in that class. Good times. Yeah. Time. Yep. We like to talk about books and all kinds of good stuff. Yes. He's an avid reader, guys. So we had to have him on the podcast. Um, but our first segment, we want to talk of talk about our first um, reads and watches. So Kaylee, do you want to start off with that? Yeah, for sure. So right now I'm reading and I'm almost done with Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczuk. It won the Man Booker Prize of last year, I think. Um, maybe not last year. Don't quote me on that. But it's really good. It's about a, um, a woman who is very sensitive to animal rights and she lives in Poland and some murders start happening and she thinks that the animals killed them. And she prevents really good ideas for why... Um, why you know it would be the animals that killed them but you also get the sense that she's an unreliable narrator and she's a little crazy so it's sort of like this is she right does this make sense or is she just a little bit psycho but it's a it's a really good book um and then ariana and i are still reading americana together i love this book ariana does not which is why no 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 that's not true i just said i had to get into it but i don't think we told them because we were reading the vanishing half before the last episode Oh, that's right. We weren't talking about that. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Wow. We, we read fast, I guess, because we, that book. <laughs> anyway, sorry, not to toot our own horns, but yeah. Um, Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett was amazing. And now we're reading Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And it's, I really like it. Uh, even if I didn't get wrapped in the storyline, which I totally am, I have found it very interesting, like, hearing what college is like in Nigeria. And that's what the first... 10 chapters or so have kind of given insight to um so that's been cool 
And then I'm watching a lot more TV now. I don't know why. I just all of a sudden started watching more TV. But I saw Kill Your Darlings, which is about Allen Ginsberg and Lucy and Carr and Jack Kerouac. And it has, um, who's the guy in Harry Potter? I never watched Harry Potter, but Harry Potter. Who is that guy? Daniel Radcliffe? Is that his name? That yeah. sounds close enough to yep. me. Um, so he plays Allen Ginsberg, and that's a really good movie. And then I've been watching The Umbrella Academy, and I'm so excited for season two to come out tomorrow. And so, yeah. What is that about? I, I've seen it. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah. So it's based off of comics. It's loosely about superheroes, but I really like it because it's not like a typical superhero trope. Like, for one, it's not DC or Mar- Marvel, and I am not a huge fan of either of those. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot more creative, and they do, they don't focus on, like, the fight scenes or, like, the typical stereotypical, like, superhero tropes. It's a very different kind of show, so it's good. I recommend it a lot. Yeah, I've seen it. It's kind of like the misfits of the superhero world, so I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, who was your favorite character? Oh, gosh. Um, It's been so, I watched it, like, a year ago, and so I'm going to have to really think about that one. Um. I don't know. I I don't know. I I really can't say because I just I like the good mix of them. I think I think it's just it really to me it was really engaging. I love the characters and I probably should rewatch episode or first season before the next one launches. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I personally I like 5. 5 I think kind of carried the show. Yeah. But yeah. So Ariana, what are you reading and watching? Okay, um, so we, I think the last time we talked, we hadn't started The Vanishing Half, but we read that and finished it, and it was about a set of twins uh, growing up um, in the 1930s or 1940s, and um, they're black, and it was talking about them growing up in the South, but it was focusing on the twins, and as they get older, their relationship kind of deteriorates and falls apart, but um it's interesting because they both completely like they lose contact with each other but one goes through the world um as a white person and the other one goes through life as um a black person and because um the book talks about this about colorism um and racism but the twins were um light enough to pass as a white person it's just kind of it's very interesting because it talks about like their how their lives turned out so different even though they came from the same home um and it follows them and then their daughters so um I don't want to give anything away but it was it was just a really quick read and Kaylee and I read that together and we'd read like a couple chapters a night and I just I don't know I said this before but I love a good multi-generational story about women like I I I love those types of stories so it was for me Britt Bennett did a great job with the storytelling it went um from past to present past to present and I I enjoyed it a lot um but we're currently reading Americana and Kaylee thinks I don't like it (laughs) but I it's just taking it was taking me I think it was because we read The Vanishing Half right before and I had such high you you can't you can't read anything after that. I just love that book so much. It was kind of like, this is not the vanishing half, which is not even the same type of story plot or anything like that. It's just that I was just, I love that book so much, but um, it is good. It's, it's, I've gotten into it. The first couple chapters, I was like, eh, like, I don't like where this is heading, but it, it's gotten better. Um, 
And I, what else? I was watching, oh gosh, I was rewatching Awkward. And it was, it originally played on MTV, but it's now on Hulu. And it takes place in like 2011 and like follows these teenagers through their high school experience. And like the main girl has like a blog and she talks about all these awkward like situations that she gets herself into and that other people get her into. And it's, it's, it's a comedy, but like, it's just so funny because when you were watching, when I watched it originally, it was like during 2011. So like now they're like pulling out flip phones and slider phones. And I'm like, what is going on? I thought it was a lot more up to date, but it's very good. It's very funny. Um, yeah. And that's on Hulu. So Mr. Aldrich, what have you been reading and watching? Uh, for reading, I actually just this week finished um, a book called What, Mad- what Made Maddie Run. Um, by Kate Fagan, and um, I'm in a book club of English teachers. There's about 500 of us across the country, and oh every every summer we read uh, three books together, and then uh, talk about them. And a lot of times we get to uh, meet meet with the author online, and it's pretty cool. So, um, but what made Maddie run is um, the story of a um, a girl who uh, started college. And she was a college athlete or a, a student athlete, and she struggled with the transition from high school to college, partly because of sports and the uh, expectations for athletes at the college level, um, but also um, with her own mental health. And it kind of tells the story of her struggles and then eventual suicide. So it's a pretty tough read, oh. um, but it really takes a look at the role of social media, um, the role of athletics and athletic programs. Um, and then just that transition from high school life to college life and, and what those expectations are and the changes in dynamic when you leave home and you leave your comfort zone into someplace new. Um, and it's, I mean, it would be powerful anytime. Um, it hit me pretty hard because we just lost a former student um, to suicide just a few weeks ago. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was, um, and so maybe it was, maybe I needed to read it right now because it's, um, I shared it with a couple of my fellow teachers and, um, it's got us talking about some initiatives for this year and some changes we can make to help kids make that transition. So super powerful story. I think it's, you know, it's not a light read, but, um, it's really well done. And the author really connects, um, as a student athlete herself, um, she connects really well with the character, um, with Maddie. Um, so that was a great read um, for a lot of reasons, really powerful. Um, I also just finished uh, reading uh, The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race. And that's um, a collection of essays edited by Jesmyn Ward, who's one of my very favorite authors. Um, she's just so powerful and has such a rich um, grasp of language. Um, and so her job with, with this book was phenomenal, which I expected. Um, and she has a lot of the great thinkers of today talking about race and talking about um, the way that race impacts our society and the way that society impacts race. Um, Clint Smith and um, just a lot of really, really timely people that have a, a lot of, a lot of good things to say that, that the world needs to hear more of. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, I really, anything you see Jasmine's, Jasmine Ward's name on, I think you should pick up. Um, that's phenomenal. And then just yesterday I started a YA book because um, I read a lot of those for my classroom, and, mm-hmm. it's, and it's called "This is America." Uh, this is my America by Kim Johnson. It just came out on Tuesday, um, and it's being dubbed as a cross between um, "The Hate You Give" and "Just Mercy," which is my favorite book of the past decade. 
Oh my um, gosh. And a lot of people have seen the movie Just Mercy, um, which is good. The book is a hundred times better um, and everyone on earth should read it. So I'm really excited about this novel. I think it has um, a lot of potential and I think a lot of my students will be really excited about it. Mr. Aldrich, those all sound like amazing books, but I have, I have not seen the movie, the hate, um, just mercy, mm -hmm. but I did read the book mm -hmm. and the book just gives you chills. Like I was just so angry when I was reading that. Yeah. I, I said, it's, I, it's, it's one of those few books where I found myself stopping and like punching this, the couch cushion next to me or whatever. And just like, I, you know, it, it's, you stand up and scream at different parts and you just can't believe, um, you know, the, the things that happen and the fact that, that this is a true story and, in present day America. Yeah, so recent. I mean, yeah, it, it's appalling really that that yeah. happens today. Yeah, and I had the I had the pleasure of seeing Brian Stevenson speak last year. Um and I, you know, I'm I'm a fanboy for sure. I would follow him to the ends of the earth because uh you know, I actually just watched last night a, a TED talk where he talked with um John Lewis. And, you know, I, I said it's kind yeah. of a, I said it's kind of a passing of the torch from one civil rights leader to um, the leader of the next generation, this one, um, and, and how to how to further push for um, more civil rights. So that was it's been a it's been a John Lewis and Brian Stevenson kind of week for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing those all. I'm honestly going to go check out all of those. Um, when you oh, you Did you say that already? Which one? Hmm? Did you talk about what you're watching? Oh, I didn't. Thank you. Um, so I, I, it's been a reading summer for me and I haven't been watching much, but I have been watching The Last Dance on Netflix because um, it's my escapism back to um, my younger years, the late 80s, early 90s, when Michael Jordan uh, ruled the court. Um, and so it just, it's feel good stuff for me because it takes me back to, you know, easier times uh, when uh, I had fewer, uh, fewer challenges to deal with. And uh, it's it's a it's a really it's a really good documentary in depth analysis of the the good the bad and the ugly of of one of our one of our sports heroes. Hmm. Cool. Very cool. Yep. That sounds cool. And you said it's on Netflix. It is. It was an ESPN produced um, series that came out earlier this year, and it just started on Netflix. Um, and you know, love him or hate him, uh, Michael Jordan does a lot of great stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And so I do like to follow. He actually um, just launched an initiative, I think, today um, where he's pledged, uh, I think, $100 million toward um, his first group of charities are focused on increasing black voter turnout and, and voter um, access for voting to um, black communities that are far up underrepresented in terms of um, polling stations. Um, so he's, he's putting his money where his mouth is in terms of making change. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And that's super important, especially because there's an election this year. Yeah, for sure. Your mm -hmm. um, story time, time, Ariana. <laughs> oh my God. I was at the post office and I passed this lady who had a mask and gloves on and hand sanitizer. I was like, okay, cool. So I go in to the post office and there's a long line. So I go and like glance back at her table and I saw there was a sign. So then I didn't have my glasses on. So like, I'm like, does this say what I think it says? So then it says like, take away the powers of the governor, blah, blah, blah. And I, I it was just so funny because I'm like, you had a mask and gloves and hand sanitizer out there. And like, obviously the governor has those powers so that she can protect us. And 
Governor Whitmer is doing a great job with um, with protecting us from COVID and making sure that we're all being as safe as we can. So it was just quite funny to me that like she had a mask and gloves on because obviously like if you have those things on, you know that it's real. Mm-hmm. But um, I was like, well, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of you having that sign. Like, doesn't that doesn't that contradict each other? Like you gloves and mask. Yeah, and the hand sanitizer, and then you're like, take away the powers of the governor. I was like, uh. <laughs> and the man behind me in line was just laughing. He's like, he saw my face, and he was like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And I'm like, yeah. Well, did you read though in like the Detroit Free Press and M Live and stuff after the um, protests, like the armed protests at the Lansing State Capitol? They noted that a lot of the people protesting were wearing masks and and gloves and like distancing and stuff and some of them were interviewed and they're like why are you socially distancing like and they're like oh well I don't believe the virus is real I just don't want other people to think that I don't care about them so it was just an interesting point of view that like clearly you don't (laughs) care enough about other people that you're not going to threaten like state officials with your assault rifles but you do care about the other people in this protest that they don't think that that you anyway it was just very convoluted i thought that was interesting <laughs> i want the right to be a bad person but i don't want people to think i'm a bad person exactly yeah. 100%. that is crazy <laughs> oh. oh wow they're like i don't want people to think i don't care but i really don't care uh, right <laughs> oh. oh wow okay that 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 is kind of funny Kaylee wow <laughs> um but our next segment we want to talk about returning to school during a pandemic but this is going to be from a teacher's perspective so um the first question Mr. Aldrich uh what are your school's plans for the fall that's a great question um and it's right now it's been changing um every couple days um and so the funny thing is like i think a lot of people that aren't teachers they think that all teachers probably are similar or think the same way and really you know we're just as human as everybody else and there are a lot of teachers who are just going to sit back and wait and see what happens in the fall and then there's a bunch that'll stress and worry about it and want to be prepared um and some people taking it more seriously than others but um essentially right now uh, the districts are, they're being told to come up with multiple plans for whatever might happen. And, uh, our administration is busy working on stuff. Uh, me personally, as a teacher, uh, I started first of June coming up with redesigning my entire curriculum to be something that's adaptable. Um, you know, schools and education are famous for not being, not adapting quickly enough to the changing world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to just completely rewrite everything. Um, and so I know I'm not alone cause I've talked to some other teachers that are doing similar things. Um, and it, it's such a mixed bag right now because I'm being told even just today that some districts are going to do a hybrid model and some are going to go fully online and some are still planning face to face. Um, and parents are kind of wondering like, okay, well, do I put my kid here, put my kid there? Do I move them? Um, and just kind of wait and see what happens. So it is really pretty chaotic behind the scenes right now, just because everyone's trying to guess what it's going to look like. Mm. Um, yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, that's the program that I'm going to do this next year is going to be in Chicago public schools. And they're doing like a hybrid model, they think, where they Mm -hmm. said about doing like three days a week with different blocks of students. So it'll be like half online, but half in person. But yeah. Yeah. And that's why, like, I'm trying to design my curriculum so that whatever it looks like, um, I have things ready to go. Uh, Because for me, the bigger issues are um, the kids that have all kinds of other struggles anyway. Like, you know, mental health has become a growing issue the last few Mm -hmm. years, and it's been a major focus for me and my students. And I know just in the last couple months of this past year, um, we saw mental health rapidly decline for a lot of students and really families Mm -hmm. in general. Um, because of the chaos and the unknowns and, um, you know, a lot of kids struggle with, you know, with the loss of so many things all at once and life thrown into upheaval. Um, and so how do I, how do I prepare for that? And so the more I have my curriculum set and ready to go, um, I can start to address some of those, you know, needs of, of my students, because I can look at a class of 30 students that, that I know pretty well and by their body language and facial expression and stuff, I can tell a lot. Well, when they're not at school, I don't have that right. option anymore, um, you know, and so I have to find other ways to do that. So mental health is a huge issue. Um, obviously, technology access. I'm pretty lucky in my district that we have a Chromebook for every student sixth through twelfth grade. Um, that's a huge plus because a lot of districts don't mm-hmm. have that option, um, and so um, that takes one. That's one less thing we have to worry about for students, but. Um, it's trying to take care of the things that, that families do rely on, um, like a safe place for their kids for, you know, seven or eight hours a day while they're working and access to food mm-hmm. and just all kinds of things. So um, it's, it's going to be an unusual year and it's making rethink, me rethink a lot of stuff um, because the foundation of my class has always been relationships with students, build those first um, so that we can get to the learning. And it's so much harder to do that through um, a screen or through a chat or through email. Um, And so that's what teachers are having to rethink right now. Yeah. And thank you so much for like being proactive because like that's definitely going to help the students in the long run. And we were talking earlier um, a couple of days ago. Can you talk a little bit about like the on the go library, what you were talking about, about your books? Right. Yeah. So, um, in the last decade or so, like individual classroom libraries have become much more prevalent because we know that kids need access to books like right there in the room and they're much more likely to read. And, and if I have books that I've selected and I know, I can recommend them to kids even that much easier. So um, with along with my colleagues, I have built a nice library of books and try to keep it up to date all the time. And my concern was if we're not in school, kids aren't going to have access. Um, not every kid can go on Amazon and just order new books when they mm-hmm. want them um, or buy an Audible subscription or whatever. And so how do I make sure that kids still have books, especially if we're not in class? And so we're lucky that in my school, our um, school library is also the town library. And so we have more resources and an actual certified librarian um, who knows her stuff. And so she and I work together pretty well and, um, through this whole pandemic she's been doing curbside as soon as she was able to open doing curbside pickup where kids could go online and find a book that they want and then schedule a time to come pick it up at the library and so I said well I'm going to you know piggyback on that same idea and I've moved my entire classroom library probably 1500 books um, onto a digital platform so kids can peruse those you know from home or whatever 
um, and figure out ones that are interesting to them. And then I'll record book talks um, that kids can watch and, you know, like a commercial for different books. And um, they can reserve books that they want. And then either they or a parent can stop and pick it up at school. Like I'll maybe um, set aside one day a week where I'll be there to just hand out books curbside um, for kids that want them. And then um, if I have families or kids that can't make it to school, um, then I'm planning on a day where I'll just drive and I'll do a, a book Uber and drop books off at your house. You know, I'll just leave them on the front porch for you and um, come back in a few weeks and pick them back up. Cause really books are the foundation of my class. Um, kids need to be able to read and write and you can't read if you don't have any books. Wow. That, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm lucky that I live in the town where I teach. So it's a mm-hmm. lot more convenient for me. Not all teachers do, you know, some of our teachers live 45 minutes away, so it wouldn't be really feasible mm-hmm. for them, but. Well, that's, um, there's an idea part to be invested in the community where work as well. So that, you know, you definitely mm-hmm. made a decision there and being invested in the community. So I think mm-hmm. it's credit <laughs> that you deserve. <laughs> right, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was definitely intentional. You know, it, it's important for me to be, be part of the community where I'm working. So. And like being in his class, Kaylee, he, like, I you said you had 1,500? About that, yeah. Like, six yep. big shells around the class when I was in there. yeah 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 I just like and I'm constantly finding like just today I I found um a teacher who has decided to leave the classroom and she's been selling a bunch of her books and I just went and bought five more from her today <laughs> and um uh, constantly looking for deals and you know I write a lot of grants and I publish an Amazon wish list and just all those things to make sure that I have you know the best books um, for students that I can get in their hands because I mean every kid everybody likes different books uh, and so I need to have a pretty wide range yeah that that honestly like I we would read like 15 to 20 minutes I'm like don't tell me twice I have to read oh darn like fine by me <laughs> yeah. that was my favorite class of the day yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure that's awesome sure. so do you have any favorite authors yeah uh favorite authors i mean i mentioned jesmyn ward earlier and she i mean i've only read a couple things of hers but um and she's a newer author that i I, i'm telling you just the language is you know she doesn't write poetry but it's like poetry it's just so rich Mm -hmm. and beautiful um it's kind of like when you look at like look you find like the perfect meal where you're like these smells and this rich flavor and these beautiful this beautiful presentation like that's her language and it's it's i don't know how else to describe it um, but she, she's just absolutely incredible. Um, she's, I mean, I would say she's definitely for upper high school to college level and up um, as far as the content and the, the interest level of her writing. Um, but for a YA perspective, um, um, Nick Stone has been hugely popular with a lot of my students because she's fresh and, um, and cutting edge and real. Um, for my kids that like shockers, um, and like surprise endings, um, Tiffany Jackson has been pretty incredible. She's got a new one coming out next month. Um, there's a ton of authors that I really like. I, I admittedly used to be like, I was a big Charles Dickens fan when I was growing up and not a lot of, even not a lot of English t- teachers really mm-hmm. love Dickens. Um, but there's so many great authors right now. And it's not because suddenly authors are better. It's that suddenly more authors can mm-hmm. get published. Um, there is an explosion of authors of color right now, which has needed to happen forever. And they have so many great stories to tell. And now publishers are finally waking up and publishing them. 
Um, and so like I, I've made it my mission this year of every 20 books that I buy, 18 of them are by underrepresented mm -hmm. groups um, because those are the rich stories that aren't getting told that need to be. Um, and my students are responding to those just like crazy, like just, just devouring books. Yeah. Wow. Because um, like so often the, the canonical voice, right, is like white and male and Eurocentric. Yep. Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. I like him too, but yeah, yeah, he's a white guy, you know, and so we need other perspectives as well. Yeah. Right. Well, and this this one might come as a surprise, maybe to Ariana, but um, I'm actually I've been pushing for a couple of years now to replace um, To Kill a Mockingbird as uh, a central text in our mm. ninth grade classroom, um, and not be. <laughs> no, 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 no. Finish what you were going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, it is a beautiful book and it is a powerful story. Um, but as an English teacher, um, I have some real concerns about the presentation of voices in that book that I think doesn't mm. fit our times. Um, and it, it does further the, the narrative of uh, the white savior. <laughs> and if you look at the black, if you look at the black characters in the book, um, and I mean, I've, I've gone toe to toe. I have argued like, like almost screaming matches with English teachers about this book because they're so devoted to it. And because, um, Atticus Finch is such a great character and he is. Um, but, but the problem is that Tom Robinson should be a central character in that book. It is his story that drives, drives the book. And we know nothing about him. You know, he doesn't have a voice in that book. His family has no voice in that book. Um, you know, and, you know, Atticus has um, a black woman in the house that helps raise the kids. And she is such a static character. We don't get any depth from her either. Um, and in, in today's world, um, we just need a more, we need a more in-depth book that explores all the people mm. in the story. I couldn't agree more. And I remember reading that in ninth grade and I was just like, that's like, it's well-written. You can't take that away. It's well-written, but I was just like, right. This yep. is the one piece of literature that you had us like that was required to read. And that was yeah. all we got. And I remember watching the movie afterwards and I didn't read this in your class. Mm -hmm. It was a different teacher, but I, I and, and the whole thing is I was like, everyone's reading, like taking turns, reading it out loud. And I'm just like this, like there are so mm -hmm. many other books and I can, I can see like a shift change. Like I, I think when author, like when um, black authors and other uh, people of color were beginning to become very mm -hmm. popular, it was by the time I was in high school. So like middle school on down, like I don't remember ever seeing anything unless it was like um, to kill, unless there was like a character that was like a white savior, like you said. And there's so right. many other books like The Hate You Give that could be that you can learn so much more from. And sure. another thing is I from the second what's it called? Ghost at a Watchman. I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. Like that's you truly realize yeah. that like people only do things to help themselves, not because they actually care. And right. I, I don't know. I, I I feel like Atticus was just praised way too much. Cause never mind. That was, it was just right too much for me. I was just reading this. And I was like, there are so many w things that I would have changed about this, but it's well-written. I, mm -hmm. the characters, like you said, Oh yeah. You do not hear yeah. from any of the, and you said you were talking. 
um, what was the nanny's name? Um, did they say her name? <laughs> if you have to think about it, it probably says something too. Oh my gosh, because like that would have right. stuck with me. But uh, I like it's Kel- you Kelpernia. only have them in these roles there that are st- stereotypical as the mammy as because she's cleaning the house and then you have right um tom robinson and the kind of like the way that they portray him is like almost in an like uncle tom sense but yeah, yeah there's so many other books yeah. that you could that that could have been chosen that are much more updated like mm-hmm. i guess you you just have to stick with the times like yeah, that's. I think if you want to read that, you should read it on your own. But that's not. There's other right. stuff you can read. Well, and it's it's just one of those things that well, we always teach it because we've always taught it, and you know, these a lot of adults feel like they had this great connection with it as a kid, um, and it's nostalgia. And my guess is that a lot of those people, when they actually read it, maybe didn't love it quite as much as they think they did. They just missed that time of their childhood. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and uh, cause I mean, I can, I, as an example, I can think of movies and TV shows I watched when I was young and I watch them now and I'm like, Ooh, that's really inappropriate today. Like some of this stuff just wouldn't fly today. Um, and, it, and it's just a different time and some things don't age well and they don't understand that not all books are meant to be read forever. Um, it's maybe not a timeless classic. And if, you know, at the end of the day, if my kids aren't actually reading it, if they're fake reading it. I mean, I know when kids are fake reading and if they're not reading it, then it doesn't matter how good it is. And you um, mentioned like timeless and, you know, get with the times. But I think like it's important to note, Mm -hmm. too, that like black writers have been around for decades and and there was forever. Right. There was Zora Neale Hurston. There's Ralph. There's so many people that have prominent since that time. It's not like in the 1960s there was no black writers and Mm -hmm. like everybody was racist. Like it's the fact that people are still racist today that canonizes white writers, but doesn't canonize black writers. And so by saying like, we, you know, we've come so far, it's just not the same. We just have to give the 1960s some grace because people were more racist back then. No, it's racist today that canonizes that and says that acceptable literary classic and James Baldwin isn't it isn't because James Baldwin there's no reason why he isn't read in classes today other than modern day racism so like it right yeah that whole timeless like don't review a work by a progressive stance review it by objective literary criterion whatever that is like it it really just functions to keep the racism alive in the classroom today and to make white kids in modern classrooms feel better about mm-hmm. themselves because they're not as racist as people in the 60s right right yeah and, and I, so my, with my seniors we teach um their eyes were watching god and the language uh, the language of the first part of the book is really a struggle because they're not used to the dialect but more so it's for most of them it is the first black author that they have encountered unless they sought out books on their own because we don't have enough authors of color in our assigned classroom texts and so you know i hear a lot oh well, i can't relate to this or i don't understand this or whatever and they 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 equate anything old with black people to slavery and i said well no this book takes place in the 20th century it's post-slavery and they just can't make that distinction because we haven't done a good job as an education system 
um, of of telling black history, you know, to, to be frank. And part of that has to do with the canon um, because we've silenced black authors and we've silenced black voices and we've silenced black stories um, for far too long. And so I guess that's, that's part of why I make such a push um, to incorporate that, um, to give it some equity in the classroom. Yeah, so important. It really oh, is. Wow. Okay, so the next. Um, oh. The other author. The, uh, no, you go first. Uh, one last author just to mention real quick is Jason Reynolds, who is my one of my favorites right now. Um, and he's super timely and um, writes in verse. Um, he, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of his books, um, but he's getting ready to publish his first adult book. And um, I just think anything that he says or does um, is so incredible. He's the co-author of um, Stamped um, with Ibram X. Kendi. And um, that's a book that I'll be featuring a lot this year that kind of puts history curriculum um, kind of spins it on its head and, and opens up a lot of doors that needed to be open a long time ago. Yeah. So, um, One thing about that book is I think, well, last month it was on Spotify for free. So you might want to check yeah. to see if it's still free for your students. Cause most students, you can get Spotify on the Chromebooks. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I know there's a couple book clubs going on right now, like through zoom that people are reading that book. Yeah. Okay, so my next question is, you said that you guys were using Chromebooks and that you're going to be like Mm -hmm. submitting your work electronically. Is there like a certain platform that you're going to be using for them to do? And what if they don't have Wi-Fi in their homes? Good questions. So um, we have tried the last couple of years to streamline the platforms that we use as a school. Every teacher and subject has their favorites. Um, But the problem is if you have, if a family has three kids, and, and that could mean as many as 18 different teachers, depending on what grade levels they are. Um, and there's all these different platforms for kids to understand and then parents to try to understand. So we're trying to streamline. Our district is going fully to Google Classroom um, this year, which um, there's a lot of drawbacks for me as a teacher um, because it's, it's not the greatest platform for teachers, but it's easy. And so that needs to take precedence right now because I need to make sure that my kids and families aren't stressed about one more thing, um, especially if learning has to take place at home. Um, so we're going all with Google Classroom and I only use a couple other small tools that work pretty well in conjunction with that. Um, so everything will be done through Google Classroom. And then um, as far as internet, uh, I'm in a somewhat rural district um, and we have huge parts of the district where internet is not available. And it's not even a matter of um, economic issues, it's just not available for anyone. And so what we did this spring was um, all of our schools and then in any township buildings um, that were in the community, we put up hotspots where families could go in the parking lot and access the internet. And so we're going to put everything on Google Classroom and make it downloadable so that a family could, um, like for my class, I'll post everything for the week on Sunday or Monday. And a family could go on Monday or Tuesday or whatever day works for them, pull in the parking lot with the Chromebook, download everything, take it home. Then they've got the videos, they've got the assignments, they've got whatever they need. Um, they'll be able to go back, you know, as much as a week later if they need to and upload everything to turn it in, um, download the new stuff to try to make it um, as accessible to families as mm-hmm. possible. So that's right now that's our plan um, because we have so many kids that just don't have, don't have mm-hmm. access to internet. Mm-hmm. And I see something in here about flexibility. 
So do you want to share a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. So what, and I've tried to incorporate more of this into my class anyway, but I think now it's even more essential. Uh, my little experience this spring with um, online learning, um, you know, kind of opened my eyes to stuff that maybe I didn't really think about. Like some of my high school students are going to spend their entire day caring for their younger siblings while their parents are working. And so requiring, you know, assigning something on Monday and making it due on Tuesday or even Wednesday doesn't always work. Um, it might be Thursday or Friday before they really get much time, you know, to, to handle homework because they do have five other classes and um, other obligations. And so um, I'm going to have more flexible due dates. I think a lot of teachers are moving to that, but also making assignments um, work more for our kids. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm trying to assess certain skills, it doesn't necessarily have to be a five paragraph essay about this topic, which I hate the five paragraph essay anyway. Um, but giving a lot more flexibility so that they can show their learning um, and giving them different tools to use. And a lot of times just conversations with kids to find out what are, you know, what are you interested in? What's going on in your life right now? Okay, well then let's tailor an assignment around that. Because at the end of the day, I need them to be able to read and write and speak and listen and think critically. And if I can do all those in a way that works for them and it helps them make sense of life and their world, then why wouldn't I do that? So um, I'm really individualizing the curriculum mm -hmm. for kids. Um, you know, um, part of that is the book choice, but really it goes beyond that in, into a lot of the, the assignments that I create. And I've, you know, I've had just great success by opening things up for, for students for what works for Very their cool. situation. So now that we've grilled you on what you're going to do as a teacher, um, I wanted to ask what mm -hmm. kind of resources do you have at your disposal as a teacher? And do you feel like you have a good social support system? Um, yeah. So as far as resources, I'm, I guess I'm fortunate that, so teaching is a second career for me. I was in business for eight years. And so I have a pretty broad network, um, which a lot of teachers might not have access to. And um, I'm able to cash in on that and get a lot of resources and ideas um, from people. And um, like, you know, money for schools is tight everywhere. Um, people are always amazed when I say, okay, well, like, you know, before I would get $80 a year to buy all my supplies. Um, and people that are in the business world say $80 for a year. What can you buy with that? Well, not a lot. Um, but I get a lot of donations, you know, and just knowing to where to find all that stuff is helpful. Um, as far as support, um, uh, I've had to narrow my, um, access on social media considerably, um, because, you know, it's, it's no secret that it becomes a pretty toxic place. Mm -hmm. Um, and it depends, depending on what's going on in the world, sometimes all the blame is on politicians and sometimes it's all on teachers and sometimes it's all on, you know, this group or that group or whatever. Um, unfortunately teachers tend to swing from the heroes of the universe to, um, the downfall of mm. society. So, um, I kind of think we're somewhere in between Human. there. So, um, <laughs> I, yeah, right. Something like that. So, um, to be honest, my greatest source of ener positive energy and inspiration has always been my students, um, past and present. And so I stay in touch with a lot of my former students for a couple reasons. One, I love to hear what they're doing. Um, and they give me great ideas for what to bring into my classroom to make it even better. Like I hear what people are doing in careers, what people are doing in college and think, okay, I can better prepare you for that by doing this. Um, 
And so that positive energy just kind of feeds me and I'm able to bring that into mm-hmm. the classroom. So. Um, What'd you say, Kaylee? I said, very cool, just because that, that's really good. Um, and then my other question was, which I think I unfortunately already kind of know the answer to this, but like, is there any sort of financial assistance from either the state or the federal government in terms of COVID with new resources or like that? Yeah, so far, that's a pretty gray area. Um, you know, I mean, we keep, as far as the federal government, um, with the current situation right now, I've learned to just wait and see what shows up. I don't trust, I don't trust what we're being told because there's a lot of empty threats. Hmm. Um, and I guess sometimes empty promises too. But um, as far as, you know, this is going to be withheld or this is what you'll have or this is what you won't. Um, and so our administrators always just say, you know, the forecast looks great or the forecast looks not so great. So scale things back. And so we've already scaled way, things way back for this year in anticipation um and um teachers um have gotten pretty good at at you know making do with you know with with what we can find and scrape up and um yeah i will say yeah that that money's tight um but you know one advantage of of digital stuff is that i can it's a lot easier to create things digitally without a huge expense Mm. so to me books is my biggest expense you know i i probably spend a thousand dollars a year of my own money on school stuff um and like i said the district you know doesn't have the money to to give us for all of that they just don't have it um so i get 80 dollars from the district and then i just come up with the rest on my own i do get some donations from people but it's it's just part of you know the expense of the cost of doing business as they say wow um shameless plug but do you know about thrift books have you used that website before I have. Yes. Yes, I do. I, um, I, there's, there are a few different sites out there that I absolutely love. And, uh, you know, even just tools like marketplace, which is how I found the teacher today that was selling some books. And, um, so yeah, a lot of my arsenal is ever growing in terms of, of resources. So. Very cool. All right. Ariana, do you want to lead us into this next segment here? <laughs> sure. So our next segment is about um, returning to school from a student perspective. (laughs) So uh, this year, uh, I will be a senior in college. And to be honest, I am not that thrilled that my university decided that we are going back to in-person classes. Um, And don't get me wrong, I have had a great college experience. And I've had a lot of great opportunities. And I've met a lot of people. And I've made quite a bit of friends and it's been a great experience I love college um but I am very worried about going to school in a pandemic because for a couple of reasons um yes we're all going to be well the school my school said that we will be um wearing masks as we should be anyway um maintaining six their plan is to maintain six foot distance wear masks and wash your hands and self check yourself to make sure you don't have covid and i'm uh, this is my own opinion um you should have been washing your hands before the pandemic um 
<laughs> and I, you, my thing is, yeah, you can say all these things, but you can't. When people get with their friends, you can't tell me that they're going to maintain six feet distance for the whole semester. Oh. That's just not going yeah. to happen. Um, and you don't know where people go after classes. You can't control that. So my thing is, um, and a lot of times ours is like, a, we do have a lot of people on campus, but a lot of people also commute. So that's another thing. People are coming and going, coming and going at all times. Um, but I'm very nervous about going back and how this is going to affect uh, students in addition to the professors. Um, another thing that reminded me of, too, is like businesses are now all coming out and saying like, oh, we're quarantine friendly. We're COVID friendly, yada, yada, yada. We're washing our hands. We have the utmost sanitary conditions. And it's like, well, what were you doing before that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what made this move so different you know like what what changed and i feel like that's kind of the same with the university they're like we're gonna clean now and everyone's just terrified because like what do you mean you didn't clean before but anyway <laughs> yeah like i i i'm very nervous because they were like oh some of, we'll have lots of options some of our classes are online blah 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 but people signed up for their classes back in april so my thing is people already have their set schedule and required courses that they need to take so they're like oh check your schedule on this date i go back and look at them I'm like great like my classes will probably be online blah 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 because most of my work is on my computer anyway and i look all of them are in person i'm taking 15 credits all of them are in person so I was like I will be on campus a lot yikes and I was like I emailed the school because they're like oh if you guys have questions about COVID blah 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 email and I was like okay you know like I'm gonna put my my uh my almost I almost have my writing degree I almost have that so I was like I'll put my writing to use and I emailed them and I was like explaining <laughs> why like I'm concerned I put in some statistics they came back with like a month later, they came back. They emailed me this week. They're like, well, we have this five-step plan. I'm like, I read the plan. Like, I, I read it. That's mm-hmm. why I'm emailing. <laughs> and I was, I, I read it, and I was just kind of like, I was just a little hurt. Like, I was a little butt hurt because, obvious, like, even when we go back to school, it's not going to be the same. Like, you can't tell me we're going to be having large club meetings and all like eating with our friends all the time it's not going to be the same so I, I I have a feeling oh and the other thing was that was hilarious um I love this school I love this school so much but uh this the funny thing is they said um they're like well we're not coming back after Thanksgiving because um because we we um we don't everyone's going away for Thanksgiving and coming back but my thing is what do you think they're doing on Labor Day? Right. Yeah. We we all leave then, mm-hmm. so everyone's going to be coming back. What is the reason? And I don't know if this is because I'm just looking too deep into it, but my thing is I think the only reason we're coming back is because of football and money. Yeah. I mean, you know how has only reason our university, but like I feel like part of it is too because like it it gets colder after thanksgiving and people tend to get sick anyway like every year even without covid after thanksgiving so but it's even before thanksgiving like when we first come back like that first month everyone has like the flu and a cold and you hear coughing sniffing people touch those doors like 
it's the first month because you're all separated and then we all come back together on campus. So people get sick way before Thanksgiving is my thing. But, you know, we will all see how this turns up. You know, I'm just a student. What do I know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you both as students, what, from a teacher, professor end of things, what, what could they do that, that would be helpful for you? Let's assume that your classes are, you know, all are partly online or whatever. What kind of things are, are you seeing that are helpful or are you not seeing that would okay, be helpful? Okay, so one thing that I found very helpful with, like, when we got out of school, when we um, went to online in March is that I really liked when teachers posted their calendar for the lat for the, like the next two months because my thing is they give us a syllabus at the beginning of each semester so you already have our planned out events so I found it helpful sure. when they had the instructions on the website that we used and my school uses Canvas um, and I like it a lot it's very mm-hmm. easy to use um, and you can get it use it on your phone blah 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 but it was nice to see because canvas has this setting where you can see when things are due and like like a calendar setting and i found it helpful so i know what i have to get done for the whole week because my pet peeve i understand like people are very very busy i completely understand like it's just my own impatience but i like getting things done early and it stresses me out when you post a big assignment the week before and you've got other stuff to do so I like right. when things were done ahead so I can work on my schedule to make sure I get everything done that I need to do at with with a high quality of work. Because I don't want to turn in, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I don't want to waste the professor's time with me turning in a crappy piece of work because I didn't have enough time to organize, make sure that it's done right. And mm-hmm. I also think that it would have been helpful to have the teachers, the professors, um, have like seminars on but like before this even happened on how to use this platform that the university uses because not all teachers used it and some of my classes I still had to turn in like hard copies so when we had to go online it was very difficult for those teachers to um, turn them in like turn them in they were like oh you can right. email it but I'm like we have this this we have canvas so like if maybe prep with the teachers on how to use these platforms if we do have to end up going online again because I feel like a lot of the stress was not knowing how to use the platforms and that type of thing Hmm. yeah I'm not a student anymore I graduated in December but um I like personally I I feel a lot for professors because the truth is like with college students, you're never going to please anybody. And even like the best professors at our university, like they still had students who would complain about different things. So like, I know it's never perfect, but like, um, personally, I like in-person learning. I work a lot better when I go in person. I don't online classes as much. So I understand it's difficult, especially because the way the education system works in the United States is the universities are essentially businesses and students are kind of the consumers and like anybody who's worked in customer services knows that consumers are arbitrarily fickle and conflicting and like the goods they want always differ according to their needs at the moment. So like I think our education system is kind of rigged for decisions to not be very easy to make or streamlined because students are consumers. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you're going to have the students who really want to learn and want challenging work 
and then you're always going to have the students who really just kind of want to get the degree and if they get a C while they're there then whatever so I think it's difficult but for someone who like likes the social interaction I personally like love debates and 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 things like that and then also writing assignments Um, I think assignments that test comprehension are definitely best and teachers probably know more about that than I do but I like writing essays. I like things that test my comprehension um, and giving debates mm-hmm. and things like that because that helps me understand the material better. But yeah, and there's something about like having because usually um, my, with my senior classes, we, once a semester we do a whole class novel, and the rest of the semester is choice reading and small group book, book clubs. So the whole class novels are all Socratic discussion. Like they, they, um, all of my assessment is based on their ability to have a discussion in class and to fully engage with it. And there's just something about, you know, 30 people in a room or 20 people in a room having an engaged discussion that you cannot replicate on a discussion board where you write your comment and then you wait for two days, hoping somebody's going to respond to it, <laughs> you know, and they, res- they respond at three in the morning on Thursday and you don't have enough time until Sunday to like, it, it just, you lose a lot of the the energy of the conversation when it's broken up and when it's just typed out on a discussion board that you just can't replicate um, from an in-class discussion. And so I definitely miss that part, um, the immediate engagement and the immediate response. And um, and that's just part of teaching my class is, is speaking and listening. And, and that doesn't transfer very well mm. to an online class. Or when they write in the so. discussion board. I like what you said. That was very smart. You know, or something just along the lines of they're just trying mm. to meet their word count. But it's easy to do when you don't actually right. have that physical conversation in the room. Right. Yep. Huh. Well, that that definitely helps me, you know, just think about, um, I do know that for my district, um, you know, they've already said we're planning on some training before school starts with um, how to use all these technology tools. Not only that, but how... Mm-hmm. Well, one thing, one thing, like my professors were really, really, really good about this. Um, but they had like office hours that we could sign up for and we could have like a 15 minute mi- uh, meeting with them if we had any questions. Um, and that was helpful, especially on those big projects. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the one thing that was difficult is doing group projects when you're not able to meet in person. Mm. That was difficult. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I had a project and I was like, uh, so are, when are we working on this? And like other people, like everyone has their own schedule. Everyone has different things going on in, in going on in their lives. So like you can't expect. Yeah. I'm kind of to... honest, but I walk into every group project expecting to do all the work. And then if someone else... <laughs> and I try to get other people and if they're responsive I just consider it a blessing from God so I'm not disappointed <laughs> but yeah I don't like in-person group project things are hard to coordinate normally so I feel like online if you go in expecting it to be online it's almost you know easier but wow Kaylee I just remember you were t- <laughs> you were like I th- uh, you thrive on social interaction when she was on campus I would see her everywhere. She's one of the most social people that I know. And Kaylee was involved in everything. Everything. And she is a moot court queen. She can argue you, argue with you forever. She can argue with you forever. Yeah, that's what my family says too. 
Um, but yeah, no, like our university. Should we say our university's name? No, no. <laughs> the privacy. I just don't care, but I won't say it. But um, yeah, I, that's kind of the one of the upsides of our university is that it's so small. So there's a lot of opportunities to get to know people, and I can definitely see how the people in charge were kind of torn with COVID because it's not like. I don't want to say anything too slanderous, but it's not like it's the most academically prestigious school, but what it lacks in like funding and location and money, it makes up for in heart and like the fact that people are close together. And so you get to know people and professors take time for you and things like that. And if you can't do that online, you know, it's, it's difficult, I'm sure. Well, my like... I completely understand. I completely understand where they're coming from. Like, obviously, you can't have the university go under and like everyone's here to get their degrees. I'm just I'm just solely focused on like probably because my sister works in a hospital, but because I have seen like how deadly COVID is and how fast it spreads. So it just makes me very, very nervous that we are going back to um be in such close like even if we maintain six feet distance we're still going to be close together and my my thought process is like if restaurants can't be at full capacity what makes you think a university can run at full capacity capacity um there's not anything as it is like (laughs) keep people (laughs) it they they already are people and i just i don't know (laughs) like how you can fully enjoy the college experience like this you know what i mean yeah i i don't know i do not know (laughs) but yeah we will see how this turns out um but i definitely the professor's have put in a lot of work and a lot of time and I'm thankful for everything that they do um I was just I'm just very nervous about returning especially for black and brown people and people with um compromised immune systems and health issues I'm very very nervous and like a lot of the professors are not even like a lot of professors are a lot older too right right yeah oh my word I'm just thinking about that now that's pretty dangerous I mean oh I was just gonna say someone's name okay anyway let's move on to the next (laughs) problematic but um I would so Ariana wrote this but can I give a little Betsy DeVos dig real quick yes go ahead so um I almost went to university that Betsy DeVos graduated from and I almost studied the exact same thing that Betsy DeVos graduated from so I will say that the university I actually went to, where I met Ariana, has rescued me from a lot of different things because I did not go to the same university as Betsy DeVos, and I'm so infinitely grateful for that. But um, she studied business, and uh, that's not qualifying for education. <laughs> and she was the daughter of two billionaires, so you can't even say that she was intelligent enough to make her own money because she had seed money the whole way. And she said that there's nothing in the data that suggests that kids being in school is in any way dangerous. So I I would just like to leave our audience with that, that we have a woman who has an undergrad in business um, as the secretary of education, which kind of goes into 
my conspiracy theory slash I feel like it's a pretty um pretty solid theory that universities function as businesses so if we can have someone who only studied business working as the secretary of education that kind of says something about the state of education in the United States I see no lies (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that it just just seeing how much she does not care about education whatsoever and she does not care about children it makes me so sad like her children aren't going to school it's not you're sending so many kids into areas that are not safe because of covid yeah wow yeah but kaylee um what was else what was it um also, like, another reason I'm nervous is because COVID affects the black population at a rate three times higher than the white population. So, like, it, it disproportionately affects black and brown people. And I think that's I, another thing that makes me very, very nervous. Hmm. Yep. So, I think that's all of our bullet points. Uh I just wanted to close this out. We wanted to close this out by saying thank you to Mr. Aldrich for providing his insight. And also thank you to all the teachers who are doing incredibly important work. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you so much. Because honestly, I feel like teachers and professors are the real superheroes. They're the ones who um, go out and um, the ones who teach they're teaching the next generation so i just think it's so important that we have that how important teachers are and we need to pay teachers what they're worth which is a lot Mm -hmm. yep yep good stuff all right so this was our first episode of unproblematic thank you again mr aldrich for yes i just want to say real quick he said it cut him out but he says thank you um and thank you so much mr aldrich this podcast episode thank you for joining us because it was really good to have a teacher's perspective um especially a teacher who is very involved and cares about students so kaylee do you have anything else you want to say uh no that that pretty much covers it okay cool all right Mm. signing off